So I want you to imagine that you, uh, someone approaches you and they ask you this question, or in some form of it. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What, what does it mean to live your life? What does it look like to follow Jesus? I mean, that's, you know, what, what does that look like? How would you answer that question? You ever thought about that? Because I'm going to be honest. I hope after today, someone in the next couple of weeks comes up to you and says, hey, you know what? I've been thinking about this. What does it mean to follow Jesus? So what would you say? So for some people, right? Some people it's like, well, you know, following Jesus, I follow Jesus. I love Jesus, so I'm a follower. Okay? You know, I go to church most every week, so that's kind of how I follow Jesus. I, I give to the church. I serve at the church. I, I'm, I'm compassionate and to, the, to the poor, and, and I try to plug into the community, all of which are great things. Not one of them makes you a follower of Jesus. It is possible to love Jesus and not follow Him. It is possible to be plugged in to, to a church and not follow Jesus. It's possible to give a truckload of money and not follow Jesus. And I'm just telling you right now, one of the most compassionate, generous people I've ever met in my life is not a follower of Jesus. And that's just a fact. So the question is, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? That, that's the question. What does it look like? And so we start thinking about these things, and, and there's nothing wrong with those things. Those are all good things to do. Those are things we should all do just because. But I think this is kind of where it all lays out. I think sometimes we don't understand there's a difference in following Jesus and just liking the things that Jesus does. When you look at the life of Jesus, and we're going to look at an event here in just a little bit, there were people who were with him, and there were people who hung out with him just because they liked being around him. They liked what he did. They liked what he stood for. They, they liked the traveling sideshow. They liked Jesus. So here's the question, and we're going to begin and end with this question. Are you a follower of Jesus or simply a very enthusiastic admirer? We're going to begin and end with that question today. Are you a follower of Jesus or are you just, do you just like him? You just like what he stands for. You like how he makes you feel. You like the fact that he saved you. Do you I mean, you see the, the difference. And so we're going to kind of take a look. So I'm going to take you back through history. I want to follow, I want to fill some blanks in for you historically because that thousands of years ago, never would a person ask a question like this because everything was clear cut. So the question is what's happened. So let's kind of go back. So early on, when Jesus came on the scene, his followers were called disciples. That's the way it was. They were called disciples. And then after Jesus resurrected, they, they, we went to this whole thing, and, and then there was the, the world came up with this new term. They were called followers of the way. Right? That's what they were called, followers of the way. And followers of the way basically meant they were followers of Jesus. It was a, it was a, it was a distinction that the culture gave to Christ followers, right? That's the way it was. And so that's the way it was for a long time. And, and then you fast forward about 10, 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus, 
See, these words, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And that's a term we're familiar with, the word Christian. That's the word we use a lot. And so the word Christian, we need to understand, means Christ follower. It's not a separate thing. So this is what's happened. What's happened is we have done what we do. Uh, We live in a culture that specializes everything, right? And so we have kind of specialized what it is to be a follower of Jesus. So they're they're like, it's kind of like being in the military, okay? Uh, They're they're infantry men in the army. They're people that, that do all the tech stuff. They're special forces. Special forces are like elite soldiers. And so they're all soldiers, whether you, you know, fight with a gun or a computer screen, everyone's a soldier, but, we, but they have specialized tasks. They're, they're things that they do that others don't do. And so what happens is we kind of Americanize what it is to be a Christian. And so this is a phrase, I don't even know where this came from. I just heard this probably 25, 30 years ago. But this is kind of what a lot of people say. They say this, there are many Christians, but few disciples. And, there, and that's how a lot of us think. That there's Christians, and the Christians are the people who love the Lord, who come to church, who've been baptized into Christ, who are trying to live for Him, trying to follow Him, not necessarily do anything special, ordinary, not, don't stand out, but you know, we're just, we're Christians. But then there's people that stand out. They're special people. They're elite. They, they go over and beyond. They do more than everyone else does. They're the 4%. Now the 4% goes like this, and in most churches, statistically, statistically speaking, this is what we understand. This is what George Barnett tells us. That 4% of the work of the church is done by 96% of the people. 96% is done by 4%. And that's usually how it plays out. And so what we have is, oh, well, those 4%, those are disciples. But the truth is, a Christian is a disciple. And the term Christian is really interesting. It only appears three times in the entire Bible. only appears three times. It appears there in Acts, uh, and it appears uh, when Peter refers to the Christians, and when Agrippa refers to, the Christians, refers to Christians. Only three times is the term even used in the entire Bible. Christian is a name given to Christ followers by culture. Followers of the way is a name given to Christ followers by culture. Is there anything wrong with those names? Absolutely not. But Jesus called us to be disciples. And the disciples we've been talking about is a fully devoted follower of Jesus, also a passionate pursuer of Jesus. And as we're talking about in the, in the context of this series, a person who lives as if they take Jesus seriously. Those are not three different Things A disciple is all of those things. A follower of Jesus. Fully devoted, fully devoted, all the way in. Passionately pursues Christ. Takes Jesus seriously. It's not one, it's all. So if someone says, well, which one of those is the answer? You go, yes. Because that's the answer. And so here's the thing. And so as we kind of look at these words that describe Christ followers, someone who takes Jesus seriously, today we're going to talk about the word follow. And a follower is someone who, it's simple, follows Jesus, right? A person who's playing follow the leader with no one following them is just taking a walk in the park, right? 
You imagine coming across somebody walking around, you know, playing follow the leader, and there's no one behind them? You see, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to actually follow Jesus. To be a follower means you follow Him. Jesus said, come follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. That was His call. And so, it's the most basic and simple thing. And we could just stop right there, but the problem is, we're still really confused on this whole Christ follower thing. So, what does it mean to follow Jesus? So, we're going to look at an event in Luke chapter 9. And, and where Jesus spells out a couple really important things so we can see the difference in people who admire Jesus and people who follow Jesus. So let's dive in. Let's dig into this thing. Beginning in verse 57. <clears throat> As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We're going to read through it all, then we'll talk about it. Verse 59, he said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but said, first let me return home and bury my father. Sounds reasonable, right? Verse 60, Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Verse 61, another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And it sounds... Like Jesus is kind of being a jerk. But the truth is, he's trying to draw a distinction. You see, the, the point was not that these folks had these things going on. This was already going on. The, the idea was, okay, I want, I'll follow you, but first I need to do this. I'll follow you, but first I need to do that. And it doesn't matter what but first that follows, Following Jesus means He is a priority of our life. Jesus is not against funerals. He's not against family. And that is not what this is talking about. But Jesus is for people being followers. And so here's the deal. If you're kind of trying to figure out, how do I know if I'm a, a follower or just enthusiastic admirer? Here, here's one way you can know. When it comes to following Jesus, is there ever a but first? That's the question. So I'll, I'm, gonna, I'm with you, Jesus, but first I need to whatever. Hey, I'm with you, Jesus, and I'm going to do what you want, but first I need to go here. Lord, I'm, I'm all in, but first got to get my life straightened out over here. Which is what most people say. Man, I want to follow Jesus, but, but first I need to straighten out my life. But if you study the people who follow Jesus, they were a mess. They were, they were a mess. Jesus didn't say, come follow me after you get straight. He didn't say, come follow me after you get your life together. He just said, come follow me. And so the question is, what must I do to begin the journey of following Jesus? That's the real question. What is it that I have to do? What does Jesus want me to do? Because it looks like Jesus wants me to put him first. It looks like Jesus wants to be more important than everything else in my life. That's what it looks like. And if you're thinking that's what it looks like, that's exactly what it is. He has to be the priority of your life. He can be the priority of your life at a funeral. He can be the priority of your life with your family. He can be the priority of your life with your job. Because that's what that's about. I'm with you, Jesus, but first, we need to find a place to stay. I'm not for this wandering around thing. So as soon as you get a place to stay, I'm with you. 
Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, I got to go take care of some things at work. That's the whole plowing thing. Jesus, I'll follow you, but, but my dad died. Well, well, why are you here? When you're, well, it was like weeks ago. Which basically says, I want to go home and do some stuff, then I'll come. With, with enthusiastic admirers, there's always a but first, I got to. And whatever fills that blank might be what's in the way of you or me or people becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. So what do I have to do? We're going to look at two things this morning. We're going to look at two things that came straight out of Luke chapter 9. And here's the first. I need to trust Jesus with my life. Because that's what he's asking. I need to trust Jesus with my life. Now, it's easy to say that you do when things are going sideways, right? When there's no one else to turn to, well, I've tried it my own way. I guess I'll try Jesus. It's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about trusting him with your life. So here's the question. Do you really trust this guy named Jesus? Do you trust that he's the son of God? Do you trust that he said he's, that he's going to do the things he said he'll do? Do you trust that he was actually who he says he was? Do you trust he's coming back one day? Do you trust him enough to allow it to change how you live, how you treat your family, what you do at work, how you interact with your friends, and, and, and the priorities of your life? Is he worthy of your trust? And either he is or, or he's not, right? And so, so think of it this way. What do you do now, for some of you, I know the answer. So for those people like me who can't fix anything on a car, when your oil needs changed, you probably take it to someone you trust. You trust that they're going to put everything back. You trust they're going to put oil in it. I say that because I have a friend who got his oil changed and drove down the road only to find out they didn't put oil back in his car. Do you know what that is? That's a bad day. That's what that is. So when you go get your oil changed, when I take my car to Sylvania Ford, I absolutely trust when I leave the keys and I go away, they're going to do what they're supposed to do. I don't call them every, hey, now, y'all, you know, y'all got that filter on? Y'all tighten them screws up? Now, I don't want to drive down the road and, find, and have a tire come off. Y'all got that fixed, right? I don't walk in and ask questions. I walk in and sign paper, pay, and I leave. Because I trust the people who are doing it. When you take your kids to the doctor, you're not going to take your kids to a doctor you do not trust. If you're taking your kids to a doctor you do not trust, you need to reevaluate your priority of your children. Because absolutely, every doctor we've ever taken our kids to, we absolutely had trust in them. Little simple things. We trust our mechanic. We trust our doctor. When I go on an airplane, I trust that joker's going to stay awake the whole time. You know what I mean? Sorry, I've got a pilot here. I always forget. Not picking on you. When, I, when I'm riding with someone in the car, I trust that they're going to keep it between the lines. And if I can't, I don't ride with them anymore. When I say it's okay, I'll drive, sometimes it means... And sometimes it means I don't want to get in the car with you. Hey, my kids can ride with you. Nip, 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 nip. Not going to happen. You trust people every day. 
Do you trust Jesus every day? Do you trust Him with your life? Do you trust Him enough to invest your life in Him? Or is there always, I'm with you, but first got to do this. Matthew chapter 7 is a trust, this is a story about these two dudes, and they built houses, right? You're probably very familiar with this. One built their house on the rock, and if you've been to a VBS or a camp, you probably sung about this back in the day. I don't know if they do it anymore or not. One, one guy built his house on a rock because he trusted that when the, founda- when the winds came, his house would stand because it's built on the right foundation. Now, one guy, he built his house on the sand. Now, he probably saved a truckload of money building his house on the sand, I'm guessing. But he trusted that when the storms came, his house would stand. Sometimes we put our trust in the wrong things, and we don't find out until life goes sideways. That is no time to find out you put your trust in the wrong thing. When life goes sideways, when bad things happen, that's when we have to know that what we put our trust in, that who we put our trust in, is absolute. Do you trust Jesus with your life? Consider it this way. Well, I trust that Jesus and His ways are better than mine or any other options out there. That's what it means to trust Jesus. Whatever options out there, whatever alternative is out there, whatever may happen, whatever may not happen, I'd rather be with Jesus than anybody else. That's what it is to trust Jesus. When life doesn't make sense, when trusting Jesus seems to, to not be the way to go, think about these disciples. Think about these guys. There's 12, and there was 11. They put their trust in Jesus. He died. They were scared. They were afraid that what they put their trust in was wrong. And that's what happened. Now, the, the, the rabbis, the Sanhedrin, the Rome, the, the people, that's ah, a good thing we didn't trust that guy. Or it's not good for us, right? Till he, till he didn't. Till he was raised from the dead. Will you trust that Jesus is, and his ways are better than any other option out there? Because I'll trust Jesus, but first, let me do it my way means you don't trust Jesus. Not enough. So that's the question we need to ask. That's the first thing we need to talk about. That's, that was the question that came up over and over. Because what was really clear was these people who wanted to follow Jesus didn't trust him. Because they had, but first I got to do this. Here's the second thing that happens in this event. It's really interesting. When it comes to, to following Jesus, I need to turn towards Jesus. And I need to turn away from something else. You ever thought about that? When it comes to following Jesus, there's always a turning. There's always a turning. When it comes to living your life for Jesus, there's always a turning. You're always turning towards Jesus. Always. Because He doesn't turn for you. You turn to Him. He doesn't conform to us. We conform to Him. He doesn't come along with us. We go along with Him. That's what it is to follow Jesus. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. It's what Ruth talked about with Naomi. But there's always a turning. And we don't think much about this thing. And we don't think about both sides of this. Okay, I'm going to turn to Jesus. So that means you've got to turn away from something. 
That means you've got to turn away from something. When you come to a fork in the road, and you have to choose which way you're going to go, and you turn, you're turning towards a certain direction, but you're turning away from a different direction. If you're traveling north and you need to go south, you've got to turn. You've got to turn towards south and, and turn away from north. It's simple. And every time you see the, in the Bible, there's always a turning when it comes to following Jesus. The guys in Luke 9 refused to turn towards Jesus. Instead, they turned back to what they knew. That's what they did. Think about the disciples. Matthew, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were out fishing, having the time. That's what they did for a living. So you guys that like to fish, just imagine that. That's how they made their living. They fished every day, all day. Got up early, went to bed, you know, and just, that's what they did. It was all they knew. It's all they knew. And that's a whole other long story. And then Jesus came along and said, hey, come follow me. And then he go, yeah, but first, but first, I need to go square things with mom and dad. But first, I need to go talk to my wife. But first, we need to make sure the boats are taken care of. Matthew and Mark's account tell us that they have to turn towards Jesus. Matthew was sitting in a tax collector's booth collecting money. Cheating the people. That's what tax collectors did. That's how they made a living. Okay, he was a cheater. Jesus came up to him and said, hey, come follow me. Matthew could have said, yeah, but first, I need to finish my day. But first, I need to turn my money in. No, he got up, and he left immediately. Then he threw a party, so all he could introduce all of his other criminal friends to Jesus. Because he wanted them to meet the man who would change his life. Paul was on the road to Damascus, Right? His name was Saul at the time. He's trucking on down. He's got evil intent. Meets Jesus on the road. Jesus says, you need to turn towards me. And he did. He turned towards Jesus and away from his whole life. They didn't abandon their families. I mean, you can read Peter has a mother-in-law, which means he's got a wife, and she gets sick, and Jesus heals her. They didn't desert their families, but they turned towards Jesus. They made following Jesus the priority of their life. There's always a turning when it comes to following Jesus. Here's the catch. Sometimes what you turn away from isn't so bad. We always think of turning as, as turning from a terrible decision, right? Sometimes it's not so bad. Sometimes it's not a terrible thing. There's nothing terrible about your family being a priority. There's nothing terrible about taking care of your job. There's nothing terrible about having relationships with people. There's nothing terrible about having hobbies. We all should have things we enjoy doing outside of work. Some people call that retirement. But for the rest of us, you ought to have something you do outside of work that you enjoy. You, you, you should. There's nothing wrong with those things unless when it comes to following Jesus, they become, but first, I got to take care of the job. But first, I got to take care of the family. But first, I got to get myself straight. But first, I got to this, and but first, I got to that. Here's the other thing that's really tough, 
And this is another way where we as a culture have really Americanized the church. Do you know how many people Jesus chased when they left him, turned away from him? you know how many people he followed? you know how many times he said, hey, whoa, 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 look. If this is what it takes, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll give you a, we'll give a, a mulligan here. you know how many times Jesus turned toward someone? Zero. Zero. We live in a world that's obsessed. Well, the people are upset. Well, we got to... I mean, our country's in a mess because we're trying to include people, right? And, 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 okay, and make things okay. Well, we don't want to... We, we don't want these people to feel left out. Jesus didn't want them to left, feel left out, but he told them they had to make a choice. And our friends have to make a choice. And our family has to make a choice. Should we give up on them? Absolutely not. Should we pray for them? Absolutely should we try to lead them to Jesus? That's our job. That's the mission of the church. That's why we're here. But the thing is, either we follow Jesus, or but first we gotta, whatever. So back in John chapter 6, there was another event like this, and it was a little, it was, it was really in the face. And there was crowds of people around Jesus. And, and Jesus, you know, was, at, was telling them, raising the stakes of being a follower of Jesus. And this is right after you fed the 5,000. And it's really interesting. When Jesus fed the 5,000, it's the beginning of his third year of ministry. It was probably, if there was a such thing as popularity scales and polls, it's the most popular Jesus ever was on the planet at that time. In that moment. About a week later, it was about as unpopular as Jesus ever was on the planet. When he raised the stakes of being a Christ follower. And there's the disciples, and there's the crowds. And he invited everybody to follow him, but he told them what it was going to take to follow him. And if you go back and read John chapter 6, I encourage you to do, to do that today. And then Jesus, he just raised the bar, and people just started turning away. And he didn't go, hey, whoa, 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 where y'all going? Where, where y'all going? Ah, I'm just kidding. Look, if, if I need to give a little ground for you to follow me, I'll do that. Because I just want a lot of people around me. He let them go. They, were in, they liked what Jesus was about. They were enthusiastic admirers. But they didn't want to follow him. They didn't want to give up anything. They didn't want to sacrifice anything. And when Jesus turned around, probably hundreds of people, they were down to 12. And Jesus didn't turn back, go, all right, let's go. He asked a question. He said, aren't y'all leaving? That's what he said to the disciples. He gave them an out. Aren't y'all leaving? Aren't y'all going? Everyone else is gone. It was Peter who said, where else would we go? That is the marching order of a Christ follower. Where else would we go when, when life's falling apart, when life's turned sideways and everything's out of control, where else would we go? When everyone abandons Jesus, where else would we go? When the world looks like, man, it is just out of control. And the easy thing to do is to turn away from Jesus. We turn in and go, where else would we go? That is the mantra of a Christ follower. So let me ask you the question again. 
Are you a follower of Jesus? Or just simply a very enthusiastic admirer? It is possible to love Jesus and not follow him. It is impossible to follow him and not love him. Here's the great news. If you're following Jesus, then you just keep following. If you kind of find yourself as a fan, grace always gives us a chance to turn towards Jesus. We can turn away from something and turn back into him. And maybe today you just need to turn back into Jesus. Maybe you just kind of, you know, I've become a fan. I've got too comfortable. I've just become a fan. Time to be a follower. Happens. Happens to everybody. I'm pretty good at being a fan. When I want to be. Jesus didn't call for fans. He called for followers. Father, we are, um, it's really clear in your word, your ways, your truth, your message. You've not called us just to like you. You've not called us to be a fan of what you're doing. You've not just called us to be, to give you attaboys. You've called Christians to be Christ followers and Christ followers to be disciples. And the disciple is a passionate pursuer and a passionate pursuer is a Christian. If you, we are Christians, we are disciples. If we are disciples, we are followers. You've called us to full devotion all the way in. And that we know is a tough road. But then I think about the road to the cross where you gave everything for us. That was the tough road. All you've called us to do surrender to you, follow you with no but first. Lord, if we as your church will do that, we can make a difference, a mountain of a difference in our community. We ask that you just lead us, help us, strengthen us, give us the courage to follow you when it's hard. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.